In this episode of Physically Spiritual, I'll explore the question, what is food? Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. This is the second episode in a series on food. So if you didn't catch the beginning, you can go back or each episode will kind of stand by itself. So you're also welcome to stay. But in this series, I'm essentially approaching food from the perspective of what we might call the ladder of being. The ladder of being is an ancient idea that, that there's, there's a hierarchy to things in the world. At the base, you might put uh, inorganic substances, things like rocks. Uh, so we're going to start literally after this first episode with the dirt with the soil. Then we're going to climb up the ladder to plants, then to animals, and then to human people, and then eventually into exploring food from a theological perspective, from the perspective of God. But in this uh, this episode, I want to start with the simple question, what is food? If you look at the dictionary, you get simple ideas like it's nutriment in solid form. <laughs> nutriment meaning it's nutrition, something the body needs, but it's solid. You need to chew it up. The dictionary also says it's material consisting essentially of protein, carbohydrates, and fat used in the body of an organism to sustain growth, repair, and vital processes, and to furnish energy. So this is approaching it from like a, like a chemical perspective. And then another definition is that something that nourishes, sustains, or supplies. And we're going to dig into all of this in this episode. So from that kind of biological perspective, from that perspective of the the body, like what does the body need? What is the, the nutrient the body needs to sustain, to survive, to grow, to repair, for these vital processes to create energy, to function? Well, like all organic substances, the body is made up of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. So these basic elements that make up all living things are what we are essentially going for when we're consuming things, when we're breathing in air, when we're drinking water, and when we're eating food. We're going after oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. About 96% of our body is made up of these four basic elements, and the rest of it is primarily minerals. Minerals that we get, uh, in essence, from the ground, from the soil. So from this perspective, as food, from a biological, from a chemical perspective, we can break up these kind of nutrients in our food as macronutrients and micronutrients. Macro meaning big, micro meaning small. And really for the sake of this episode, I want to focus on these macronutrients. The three are very famously carbohydrates, protein, and fat. Carbohydrates, protein, and fat. Carbohydrates and fat are, are similar in a way that they both provide literally carbon for the body, and it's in the breaking of the bonds of these molecules that our body creates energy. It creates the, the energy that, that gives us life, that helps us to move, that runs the base processes of our body, that helps us to have energy to lift things up to run our brain so that we can think. So carbohydrates and fats serve this basic purpose of providing energy. But fats also provide additional, uh, additional nutrients to the body. It provides lipids to the body that are, are 
primarily used for the creation of cells. The, the lining of the cells, the membranes of cells are, are primarily constituted with the fats that we eat. These nutrients, uh, some scientists define some of them as essential and others of them as non-essential. And essentially what the distinction is, is if, if a nutrient is non-essential, what it means is we cannot eat that thing, we cannot consume that thing, and our body has another means of creating that internally. So it can, it can take nutrients of other natures, rearrange them through internal processes in order to provide that for the body. So none of the carbohydrates that we eat are, in this case, essential because the body can go through a process called gluconeogenesis to create glucose, which is the product that is created in our body out of those carbohydrates. On the other hand, there are essential fatty acids. There are essential fats. These are linoleic acid and alpha-linoleic acid. So these two fats, one of them an omega-6 and the other an omega-3, are essential, meaning the body can't create them by any means, meaning we need to take them into us, otherwise we won't have enough of them. In, in the plant form, they can be, uh, by processes in the body, turned into what's needed to sustain organic life, meaning it can, it can be turned into like the omega-3s and omega-6s that you might eat in a, in a fish oil supplement or something like that. But the, this basic linoleic and alpha-linoleic acid the body cannot make. Proteins, another word for protein is amino acids. And what these amino acids contain that's essentially not in carbohydrates or fatty acids is nitrogen. And the body uses this nitrogen, especially in processes of building and sustaining muscle and, and other uh, important tissues in the body. So there are actually, depending on where you look, eight or nine essential amino acids, meaning amino acids that if you don't eat them, you won't have them. And here I'm going to butcher a bunch of scientific words. <laughs> They're phenylalanine, valine, threonine, tryptophan, methionine, leucine, isoleucine, lysine, and histidine. So if we're not consuming these nutrients in our food, our body won't have them available uh, in order to build the structures of our body, in order to build muscle, in order to build other tissues. So when we, we think of this from the, the perspective of, of diet, what we should eat, we have to keep in mind that there are certain things our bodies can essentially do without, meaning if we don't provide them to them in a significant quality, uh, our body can make what we need. And then there's other things our body literally can't live without, meaning if we don't provide these things, they're going to be drawn down in us over time, and eventually we're going to be deficient in them, and then that will manifest in some kind of illness or sickness. We might now consider, how did this actually happen? Right? How did some nutrients become essential or how did some nutrients become non-essential? And for this, I think approaching it through the evolutionary story that, that science provides us is, is a helpful way to consider this. We might think that we adapted as an organism alongside our food. There was kind of a co-adaptation process over the ages where, where food changed and we changed, meaning what was available to us, our body depended on us receiving from our environment. 
And what was scarce in our, our environment, there were pressures in the human body in order for it to be able to create it itself. Uh, we might simply summarize it for what we never really needed to do, the body didn't do, <laughs> what we could eat, what we could take in from our environment. We never uh, generated an, an endogenous method, an internal method in order to create it ourselves. And then what was scarce in our environment, what we didn't have enough of, our body very in ingeniously created methods and designs in order for it to be created for us when we didn't have enough of it. So thinking of this process then on a timeline, we might use the image of a football field. This is a common image used when trying to, um, when trying to, to consider this process of the adaptation of the human body. So there's a couple essential uh, important events that happen in the midst of the timeline of humanity. We might think of these events as first the agricultural revolution. This is when humans in mass started to use uh, agricultural methods to grow plants and to domesticate animals. We might take another event, we might just loosely define it as the industrial revolution. This is when the means of production was moved uh, largely into factory settings and away from uh, agrarian settings. And then people largely then started moving into cities as a result of this. And then the food system was also then um, more centralized as a result of that. And then we might have a, a third uh, milestone on this. And we might think of this as the, the modern food movement or what you might call the synthetic food movement. And this is really in the last hundred years that this has happened. When we've not just uh, consumed foods that are provided from us from nature with simple processing like cooking and grinding and mashing and mixing together, but now we're actually breaking apart food into the most basic elements, into these most basic chemical constituent parts, and then reconstructing them through scientific processes to then create synthetic substances that we create and provide those nutrients to us. So if we, we think the human body has come about through this process of adaptation to environment, and this entire process is the length of a football field of our entire genus of our species, Homo, the agricultural revolution would have occurred at the one-half yard line. That means when this event happened in, in the history of the human body, 99.5 yards of human history had already occurred. So at this point, there's one and a half feet left on the football field when we made this shift to, to agriculture. When we made the next shift about roughly 300 years ago to the industrial revolution, there was 0.01 or one hundredth of the last yard remaining. This is essentially a third of an inch or about one centimeter in size. So about the size of a pea is left on that football field. And then finally, when this modern synthetic food was introduced into the human diet, it was one thousandth of a yard left or 0 0.001 yards. This is one millimeter or essentially the size of the tip of a sharpened pencil. So compare that size of the tip of the sharpened pencil in your mind to the entire 100 yards of the football field. So taking this into account, 
the bulk of human history, we were in, an, in a place where we were dependent on our environment to provide our nutrition. And so it was through this process that some of these nutrients are essential and some are non-essential. And then only in a relatively short amount of time now, the human diet has changed. And the reason why we do this as a people, we might say that we're trying to solve for acute problems, meaning things that can kill us fast. And the one most important acute problem that humans have always had to wrestle with is the possibility of starvation, the possibility of not having enough food to eat. So as a society, we've, we've traded off this acute problem where we're trying to eliminate starvation. But oftentimes what it leads to is now we're dealing with various chronic issues, meaning there's no longer something that's going to kill us in the short term, but there's now effects on us over the long term that cause harm to the human body. You know, some scientists will dig up um, ancient architectural or ancient uh, human bones from like Egypt or, or Mesopotamia, and, and look at them, look at their, look at their teeth, look at their uh, bone density, their height, and compare it to our ancestors who were not living in agrarian societies. What, what were their bones like? What was their height like? What can we glean from a sense of the health of people living in an agricultural environment compared to the health of people living in a hunter-gatherer environment? And there are signs like people, people shrinking, right? There's signs of tooth decay and other signs that hint at the fact that humans started to have more chronic issues with their health, even though, on the other hand, there was maybe less acute issues, less threat of starvation. And then this is, has escalated in modern times, where our, our food environment has changed in, in drastically more significant ways, with even less time for our body to adapt to those changes and be able to understand and make sense of and use those various synthetic things, and then also to be able to detoxify the elements that are in there that the body cannot use. And we've, uh, in, in essence, pushed starvation to the very edge of possibility of being human. You know, there's, there's still starvation in the world, obviously, but largely probably because of sociopolitical reasons. Uh, but we, we create much more nutrition, many more calories, much more carbon that's digestible by humans than, than is needed. So in, in our, uh, our kind of, you might say, quote-unquote, westernized um, societies, we, we don't really deal with starvation. We actually are now dealing basically with obesity. The vast majority of the people in our society uh, are overweight or obese. And then there's a whole uh, string of chronic diseases that go along with that, things like, like diabetes, uh, cancer, uh, increased heart disease, and then uh, really an increased... Uh, especially in the most recent times of people dealing with, um, dealing with autoimmune conditions. And many scientists think that a lot of this comes back to this environment that we've created for ourselves, an environment that, that isn't compatible completely with our human biology, and our, our biology hasn't had enough time to adapt and catch up with what's being presented to it in our environment. And one of the primary things coming to us from our environment is our food. Now, all this isn't sorted out as to exactly what to do and what not to do. And if you spend your, your time trudging through the recesses of the internet and the, the health space and different 
uh, scientists and, and educators and popularizers who are talking about health and nutrition and all this stuff, you're going to find a whole spectrum and gambit of people uh, claiming to know exactly how this all works, what's making us sick. Um, but for the sake of, of our understanding here, uh, we can identify food from a biological, from a chemical perspective as food are substances that deliver the nutrients that our, our body can digest in order to sustain our life. As we build out later in the season and, and go through the ladder of being and talk about soil and plants and animals, then the human digestion process, appetite, and, um, and human diet, we're, we're going to kind of dig into a lot more practicals based on this. But in this episode, I'm just laying some of the groundwork of understanding, uh, hopefully to help you understand what what we're getting, what food really is on this most basic physical level. And then from this basic understanding, we're then going to build on that in later episodes to then answer the question now, well, what should we do? How should we eat? We have to face the fact that as humans, we're more than a body. We're a body and a soul. We're a person, a, a unity that's physical and spiritual. So it begs the question, Right? We don't just need food to survive. There's more than just food that we need to survive as a person. So what does, what does a, a person need? Food means more to us than just nutrition as a people. We don't just eat food. We have meals. Right? We, we have an experience that we create for ourselves by, by the setting, the place we're in, whether it's the restaurant or the way you set your table the plates, the dishes, the tools you use to consume it, the process of cooking it and preparing it, then oftentimes a meal is, is held in the context of a community, of a family, or a group of people. We have banquets and receptions. Human society, on a real level, rotates around the consumption of food. So we're not just made to eat food. We're made and designed, I believe, to eat food with other people in the context of a culture and society. From a, a philosophical and theological perspective, I would propose that the person needs to receive the true, the good, and the beautiful. And we're designed to receive the true, the good, and the beautiful from another person. <laughs> you might say that the, the substance as a person that we're designed to receive what we need from is other people, divine persons, angelic persons, or human persons. And the macronutrients, you might say, that the, the human person needs to receive in those relationships is what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful, these transcendentals. So as a society, we've built practices, we've, we've built uh, this culture around receiving, in a sense, the macronutrients we need to sustain our bodies in the context of the mac macronutrients we need to sustain our souls. <laughs> we receive the carbs, the fats, and the proteins in the context of the true, the good, and the beautiful. And this is essentially what a meal is. This is what a banquet is. This is what a, a wedding reception is. When we as a family uh, go on vacation, we often laugh at, I think, uh, we heard the joke from Jim Gaffigan. So when, we, when he goes on vacation, it's just going somewhere else and eating. 
Right? You, you wake up and you have breakfast together and you start talking about where you're going to go and have lunch and where you're going to go and have dinner. So, th- so the, uh, the vacation is just going somewhere else to, to be together and eat. Our Lord in the scripture proposes that we, we think about this and meditate on this. In Matthew chapter 6, our Lord says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The body doesn't just need to keep functioning like a machine full of cogs and wheels and the, the food is the fuel that goes into it. No, the, the human body is it's a person who needs love, who needs relationship. And you might say if you have, if you have just the, the macronutrients from food, the protein, the carbohydrates, and the fats, without the macronutrients that the soul needs, the true, the good, and the beautiful, is the life even worth having anymore, right? And in so many levels, what we see in our society is now we are dying deaths of despair. This is because we have a plethora of everything our body needs, while on the other hand, we have a scarcity of everything our soul needs. We're literally starving for connection. We're starving for, for beauty. And, and so much of what's distorting our society is, is a cry from the human heart for these things we're starving for. Right? Think of things like the... Uh, like the, the dearth of pornography in our society, right? The human soul craving for connection and for beauty. Uh, and we're not being provided for in ways that, that really fill us and enrich us, right? So we, we have this massive, uh, this massive corporate structure to provide it for us in a counterfeit way, right? We, we, crave, uh, we crave adventure. We crave to be together with other people, in, in a connected way to have meaningful relationships, to be known by others and to know others. And what our society gives us is a, is a, a dearth of media and social media. We can just infinitely lose ourselves in videos and, and online content on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and what it does, it presents us with a counterfeit where, where we feel like we're connected to others, that we're a part of something big, that we're on a grand adventure, but, but we're not. Right? We're just sitting in the dark on our couch by ourselves. Right? So in so many ways, our soul's crying out for, for what's true, good, and beautiful, uh, but, but it's not being provided to us. When Jesus was tempted by the devil at the beginning of his public ministry and he went out in the desert and fasted for 40 days, the scripture says in Matthew chapter 4, the tempter approached and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Not by bread alone, meaning we do live on bread, we do need food, but we also need every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Now think of this in the context of the whole scripture, right? Because how did God create? God spoke. Right? Everything that God created, God spoke into being. That's the way the scripture presents it to us. And then when God starts a new creation, when he introduces the kingdom of heaven on top of 
the beauty of the creation that he gave us, when he, uh, when he brings about our salvation, our redemption, and the prefigurement of the new heavens and new earth in the church, what does he do? God sends us his word, right? Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So when Jesus says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God, right? From the true, the good, and the beautiful. And everything God has given us now in this, this new order, this new creation, this order of grace, the economy of salvation that our Lord has given us in the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ, which was initiated at the moment of the incarnation. All right, one final scripture on this. Uh, this is from uh, John chapter 1. Actually, I don't think it's chapter 1. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but the, the disciples come up to Jesus and say, uh, Rabbi, eat. Then it goes on. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. My will is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. I would propose that we can find God's will really from two sources. From the way that he spoke in the original creation and the way that he's spoken in the new creation. Meaning the way that he spoke in the original creation is his design for nature. By discovering God's design in our body, as we can discover it through modern science, regardless of of the story that we tell ourselves to try to make sense of what we've discovered in, in modern times, right? we need to accept the fact that, that science has discovered some truth about the human body. And in that truth about the human body, we discover something of God's design, whether played out in an immediate creation or played out in God's governance and providence uh, played out through history. Right? So there's, there's something we discover of God's will in the design of our body. But then there's also what we're given in God's will through revelation, through what God has spoken to us throughout the scriptures and his definitive revelation in his word made flesh, in Jesus as the Son of Man. So this is our true food, to do the will of the one who sent us and to finish his work. I mean, what we're called to do is to discover God's design for our life and live it to the fullest. And in a sense, bring his creation to fulfillment in and around us by the work we do in society and for one another to become a gift of self to each other. There's an even deeper dimension to food revealed to us in this revelation, though, because it's not just food itself has a deeper meaning and, and the culture, the society, the, the, what we've built around food really feeding us and sustaining us. And then understanding that God's provided more to us and we are more than just our bodies, right? So we also need what's true, what's good, and what's beautiful. Even beyond this, God gives himself to us as food. God gives himself to us as food. And this is the Catholic understanding of the Eucharist. That the bread and wine, right? These simple elements that come out of the most ancient agrarian societies, these basic elements are prayed over by a priest, a successor of Jesus' apostles. 
and that they become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the disguise of bread and wine. Right? The accidents of bread and wine are there. The taste, the smell, the touch, the look are bread and wine. But the essence, the substance, is the whole Christ. The same way that Jesus came to us appearing in every way human, by smell, look, taste, touch, and appearance, but Jesus is fully God and fully man. Um, it's actually not, a, not a, a direct corollary because we believe that the bread's substance is changed, but, but Jesus is uh, substantially human and substantially divine. So a bit of a nuance there. Um, probably getting more technical than everyone would ever wish I would be, but, <laughs> but yeah, just to make the point. So Jesus presents himself to us as food. He, he inaugurates this idea in the sixth chapter of John during the Bread of Life discourse. Let me share some passages from this. Jesus says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He goes on later. He says, Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. And Jesus then fulfills this then at the Last Supper, where he holds up bread and wine in, in the context, in the midst of uh, a Jewish Passover celebration, and says, this is my body, and this is my blood. And then gives himself to his disciples as food. And then the, the apostles continue this practice we see then through the book of Acts and in the writings of St. Paul. But notice the context that Jesus speaks about this. He's speaking about this giving himself as food and drink in the context of the Passover, of here giving them the manna from heaven, and then in Egypt, this Passover meal. So let's think about the history here a little bit, because I think it, it draws everything I've been talking about in this episode together. When we talk about the history of food, human society, and now God giving himself to us as food. So the Jewish people are given a land by the Lord when they leave Ur of the Chaldees. Ur was part of the, the civilization of Mesopotamia, so the ancient Sumerian Empire, and then later the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire. But early on, this, this area called the Fertile Crescent, right, between this Tigris and Euphrates River, where, uh, where silt generously comes down uh, from the mountains and, and, and provides soil, rich soil, where agriculture can flourish. Right? This was sort of this ancient, most ancient place where, where cities developed. Right? They're leaving this context of the city. And one of the things that happened in this is this trade-off. Right? People were solving for their acute problems but accepting chronic problems. In the context of the city having a, a, a pagan god king Right? The people are safe from danger of other people attacking them. They're safe from the danger of wild animals. And then they're also provided food and drink by the structure of their society. And in exchange for that, then, 
they essentially become slaves to a tyrant who, who provides for these acute problems, but then they're accepting chronic issues. They're, they're leaving this in Ur and they go to the chosen land. But then later on, there's a famine in the chosen land and they go down to Egypt. And this is in the context of the story of Joseph. Why? Because of famine. And they go to Egypt because Joseph in God's providence and wisdom has stored up food for them, has stored up bread for them, grain for them. But then once again, once they're in Egypt, they end up in another place where they're under another tyrant God king. And their, their acute issues are, are cared for, right? They have food, they have drink, they have safety, but they're slaves again. They no longer have, you might say, what's true, good, and beautiful. So God comes to them through the, through the person of Moses and, and brings them freedom once again. And they have to go through this process of leaving Egypt. And they, in this, they receive the law, right? And leaving Egypt, they receive the law. What's, the law is God's word, right? They receive God's word. They're receiving what they need, what's true, good, and beautiful. The, the law, we might say, on, on some basic level, is just once again revealing the natural law to them, teaching them how to be human once again. And then they enter the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But on this journey, God directly provides for them, both provides for them in the Passover meal where the angel of death passes over their house when the firstborn of all the Egyptians are slain, and then provides for them manna and then quail, for them to eat in a miraculous way while they're on this, this journey from slavery to the promised land. Now, the person of Jesus Christ in the midst of this story is presenting himself as food, as the new manna, as the fulfillment of the Passover, the, the perfect lamb of sacrifice. And in that teaching now, the, the angel of death is to pass over our homes but in our journey out of slavery, because we are, in a real sense, in our society, under a new tyranny. Not a tyranny with, with a person that's a God king, but, but in the midst of a society that's, that's seeking profit for its own sake. And as a result of that, we're now being further and further deprived of what's true, good, and beautiful for the sake of profit. And we're very safe, right? We have the strongest military in the world here in the United States, and we're very well fed. <laughs> but we trade off acute problems for chronic problems, right? Nobody else kills us sometimes, but we often kill ourselves. Not to be too frank, but yeah. So Jesus comes to us in this place, and as we're on this journey out of slavery together into the promised land, into heaven, he now provides for us a new manna, a new lamb, and that's himself, what is perfectly true, good, and beautiful. I hope you'll join me for the rest of this series on food as we travel together up the ladder of being from soul, from plants, sorry, to uh, from soil to plants to animals to the human person and all the way up to the divine as we, as we weave these themes of what can be discovered through science and what can be discovered through revelation in order to discover God's design. And, and from that, I hope and pray, God, that we learn how to be more human.
Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.